Well, good morning. I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, Hebrews 10:7 tells us that in the volume of the book, it is written of me, is what Christ says, to do thy will, O God. So as you study the scripture, Christ is the theme of the scripture. Not only is he the theme, but we also know that he is the author. We have the written word, but we need to understand he is the living word. And our heart's desire is to serve him. Matter of fact, as far as being the theme, Luke 24, verse 44 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Verse 45, And he said unto them, These are the words. It must be for which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. God's precious word concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. So our project, what we wanted to do is go through Genesis to Revelation, and we have been locating Christ of the book. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. There were so many to choose from out of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1.8, we find that the Lord Jesus, he is the confirmer. In verse 30 of chapter 1, he is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, he is our sanctifier, he is our redemption. He is all of those things we find in the book of Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, he is, and probably should have gone with this one, but this one sort of epitomizes everything that Christ is when it comes to our salvation. He is the last Adam. We're going to be talking a little bit more about exactly what all that means. But he is the last Adam, not the second Adam, because... And I hear people all the time say, well, Christ is the second Adam. No, he's not the second Adam. But the, using the term second Adam insinuates there may be a third or they may, there may be a fourth. We know who the first Adam was, but let me tell you, yes, he's the second Adam, but he's also the last Adam. Mission accomplished. All sufficiency of Christ to bear the burden of my salvation. But the one that I did choose, because it's sort of the summary of all of who Christ is in the book of Corinthians, to the Corinthians, is he is the giver of grace. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. He is the giver of grace. It is based on what he was able to accomplish on Calvary's cross that we can be saved by grace through faith and that out of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So as we go through the book of Corinthians, keep that in mind, that he is the giver of grace. And let me tell you this, this local assembly in Corinth, they needed God's grace. Matter of fact, C.R. Stam called this church in Corinth 
a miracle of grace. A miracle of grace. Both letters to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, both letters are brimming with God's instruction to his body, to the redeemed of the Lord. Both letters are letters of reproof and instruction to this very carnal group of believers. There were so many issues in these churches. It is once said that if they if if Christian if people referred to people in Corinth, they would refer to them as stop being a Corinthian or stop acting like a Corinthian because of the debauchery, because of the sin, because of the carnal nature of that of that area. The remark was always, he acts like the Corinthian, which that was not a good thing. It was a synonym for debauchery, for prostitution. And what's amazing about that is it was the chief of sinners who goes to a city of such sinners. And you know what the result is? For sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. What a testimony of the truth of that scripture. So whether it be St. Louis, Missouri, whether it be Chicago, Illinois, whether it be Herman, Missouri, I got news for you. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God is absolutely ready and willing and capable of forgiving people of their sins, making them new creations. It is in the book of Corinthians, where we find that God is directing His church, His body. As a matter of fact, it's in 1 Corinthians that we learn that what we are is the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where we find that we need to make a distinction. You know, we talk about rightly dividing the word of truth. We talk about understanding those Pauline revelation. Well, this is part of it, is that God is not working through a nation any longer. We're not a nation. We are a body. God is not working through Israel. He's not dealing with nations. He's dealing and working through a body, his body. It's to the church in Corinth that this glorious truth comes alive and is demonstrated and discussed. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. He's one body. Who makes up his one body? Us. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. He is the glorified head. Verse 13. For by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink unto one spirit? It's in the letter to the Corinthians that we understand that the baptism for today, the spiritual baptism for today, 
has nothing to do with water. Matter of fact, that was all associated with Israel and becoming a kingdom of priests and that ceremony and what all that indicated and identifying with the nation of Israel. The baptism that we preach, the baptism that we encourage is for a person to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and it is the baptism by the Holy Spirit that places them in the one body. It's in the book of Corinthians to the letter to Corinthians, where Paul says, For the Lord did not send me to baptize, to water baptize. Well, what a, what a piece of knowledge. What a glorious amount of information that is to us for Paul to say, The Lord did not send me to baptize. And later on, he's going to, in his letter, he's going to say that the one baptism, or the baptism, is the spirit baptism. See, Peter couldn't have said that. James couldn't have said that. Matthew couldn't have said that. The Lord absolutely, most definitely sent them to baptize. Go ye therefore into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter could never said, well, the Lord didn't send me to baptize. Oh, yes, he did. But Peter's ministry was to the circumcision, to the nation of Israel. We have a ministry to neither Jew nor Gentile, we have a ministry to, to, to reach not just Jew or Gentile, but everyone. To the letter in, in uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about there's one Lord. So how many lords are there? There's one faith. How many faiths are there then? One. And there's one baptism. Wait a minute. No, there's got to be more baptisms because churches practice water baptism. If you have a spirit baptism and you have a water baptism, I'm no mathematician, but if you add them up, how many is that? Two. And we find in the letter to the Corinthians that that one baptism is the baptism that the Holy Spirit undertakes when it immerses us, if you will. It places us into the body of Christ where we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. It's in 1 Corinthians that we get this glorious truth. But as I said, the letter to both to the church in Corinthians, both 1 and 2 Corinthians, it's a letter of reproof. It's a letter of correction because they needed it. Yet it's in the, the letter to the Corinthians that the Lord uh, leads Paul, directs Paul to call them saints. People think a saint is someone that really does good. You think of a saint as someone that's more spiritual. Well, you shouldn't. That someone that's more religious, someone that's accomplished something in life, and now they're just a really good person, and you talk about saint this person, saint that person. I got news for you. If you have been blood-bought, if you have been made a, a new creation in Christ, you are a saint. The word saint means being separated for God's purpose. That's what the word saint is. It's someone who has been separated. It's not someone that's just really better spiritually than everybody else. That's a false notion. A saint is somebody who has been saved to the uttermost and separated for the purpose of God. And every one of you have been separated, has been separated 
for the purpose of God. There's an old saying that the word Bible stands for basic instruction before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Well, that's epitomized in the book to the Corinthians. The temple of Aphrodite was there. A thousand temple prostitutes. It was a cosmopolitan center. It thrived on commerce, entertainment, vice, and corruption. A lot like our cities today. As a matter of fact, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. The problem that Paul faced was not getting a church in Corinth, but keeping Corinth out of the church. That was a real struggle. They had serious, serious issues. These babes in Christ, these called saints, were a demonstration of the power of God working in someone's life. And you study this letter to the church in Corinth and you understand what they came out of. You can't help but understand that when God does his work in your life, he is thorough. He is complete. He saves you to the uttermost. And if he can do that to such a group as these people are or were, I guarantee you, he can save anybody. They were beloved, they were sanctified, and God demonstrated his power in the midst of them. And actually, the church in Corinth, Paul tells us, was his seal of apostleship. When people would say, how do we know you're an apostle? You know what he would do? He'd point to that church in Corinth, and he'd say, go check them out. That proves I am an apostle. What God has done through me, through that church, that's not my, my position. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. They were a symbol. They were a seal of his approval or his apostleship. The sign gifts were still active during this time. Remember, this was during that transition. This was early on in the Acts period. God was doing something miraculous. And the sign gifts, the healing and the tongues and and the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, all of those sign gifts were still active. But it's it's to the church in Corinth that Paul tells them, 1 Corinthians 13, that we understand the doctrinal truth that the sign gifts were going to come to an end. That whether there be tongues, they were going to cease. Whether they're going to with prophecy, it was going to come to an end. The gift of knowledge, it was going to cease. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, just so we understand. It's, it's to this group of people that we get such strong doctrinal truth concerning what our marching orders are today. That we... Study this 
and we don't teach, preach, declare, speaking in tongues. Matter of fact, I think it's demonic. I don't, and I'll be so bold as to declare that. It's either demonic or it's an emotional issue or the people are just being liars. And, and usually they're, they're being liars. You know, you ask somebody, did you really speak in tongues? Yeah, 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 well, did you really? Okay, no, I mean, they faked it. And say, oh, you're being cruel, you're being harsh. Folks, it's the Word of God that's at stake here. And we speak truth, but we do it in love. Amen? But it's 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 8. Charity never fails, or love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. See, there were three sign gifts that went together. The gift of prophecy, that was teaching. That was standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord. There was the prophecy. There was the gift of knowledge to understand what they were saying and teaching when they would say, thus saith the Lord. And there was tongues for them to speak in, in the other languages and they'd have, uh, they would have an interpreter there that could tell them what they were saying was absolutely an indication that this was from God. They couldn't stand up here and go, all right, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. They didn't have that. What they had was absolutely those three gifts, the sign gifts. When they would gather like this and they would start teaching and start preaching and start sharing what God's Word is, how did they know that somebody wouldn't get up and saying something that was totally out in right field or left field or totally wrong? Well, you had the gift of prophecy, you had the gift of knowledge to identify, and the gift of tongues that would accompany that. All of that was part of God's program as an indication that this was, uh, this was of God. This was early on. But what Paul tells the church in Corinth, tongues are going to cease, prophecy is going to fail, Knowledge is going to vanish away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Because they didn't have the complete Word of God. And so when they would stand up, Paul was still getting the revelation of mystery. He's admitting here, for we, we, know, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. That revelation of the mystery, they haven't, it hasn't been completely given at that point. But, verse 10, but when that, not he, this is not talking about the Lord Jesus. This is not talking about someone. It's talking about something. But when that, which is perfect, what does the word perfect mean? Complete, fulfilled. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What is, what was he talking about? What did he say in Colossians 1 that he was called to bring to completion? The Word of God. It was the Word of God. Do we have the complete Word of God? Amen. That's why we encourage you to study to show yourself approved. 
So that if I stand up here and I tell you God's Word says to expect aliens to come down on March 31st next year, you can go, wait, 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 wait. See, that's my prophecy. That doesn't happen anymore. You can, you can try, you can test, you can bring assurance that what's being declared is the true Word of God because we have the complete Word of God. I cannot add anything that's in outer limits that's not included in the Word of God. We test everything by the Word of God. Wasn't going to go there, but okay. But that's, that's to the church in Corinth that we learn that glorious truth. When Paul was in Corinth, kind of give you an idea of these type of people, uh, he was fearful. Look at Acts chapter 18. Look at Acts chapter 18. I want you to understand what he was up against, what he was dealing with. In Acts chapter 18, you start reading in verse 1, and after these things, Paul departed from Athens and, and came to Corinth. So here he is in, in Corinth. Verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue and every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And when they, were, when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon you, your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. Look at verse 9. Then spoke the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. We find in, back over to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul, in his writing to the church there, he talks about how he was frightened, how he understand he understood he was in a dangerous situation, a dangerous setting. As Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he, he explains that he was there and determined not to know anything save Christ Jesus and him crucified. Look at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 2. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's the reason there in Acts 18, the Lord had to appear to him and say, don't be afraid. I, they're, they're not going to harm you. I've got many people in this, this city. And it took the Lord Jesus himself coming and encouraging Paul because of the situation. Verse 4, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words, words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
they observed, they saw God's amazing power taking place during that time. The situation was absolutely frightening there. In Acts chapter 19, verse 22, Paul is in Ephesus, and he's writing his letter to the church there in Corinth. And that's when he talks about the fact that the church there, they were a seal of his apostleship. There were difficult times. There were dangerous times. There was a hotbed of everything that was ungodly, yet Paul remained faithful. And boy, is that a lesson for us today. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the danger, regardless of what's being said about us, regardless of what's being said to us, we understand that God has a purpose and a plan, and His calling on our lives is just to speak up and declare the truth. You know, sometimes, sometimes we get the image that these apostles and that these uh, biblical characters were giants of the faith. Well, they, they were. I mean, they, they were faithful, but we understand, well, they had no fear. Well, that's not true. That they, they had no anxiety. Yeah, they were anxious. That it was easy for them. No, no, not at all. It's in the second letter to the church in Corinth that Paul tells them there that it was the love of Christ that constrained them. It was the love of Christ. And that word constrained there doesn't mean held them back. It means the love of Christ that, that pressed them. Just It was sort of, when I read that, you know, the image that always pops in my mind is toothpaste. You know, you take the lid off and you want to get the toothpaste out and you, you squeeze that and it just comes out as you squeeze it from the top or wherever you want to. I just squeeze it from the middle and I take care of both both things but it's the love of Christ that it's that pressure it's God's it's God's love it is God working in our life that pressures us that drives us forward to serve to serve the Lord the realization of how important the ministry that God's called us into is to do understanding that there are eternal consequences to our witness, to our service, to what we declare to a lost and dying world, that Jesus saves. And God holds us responsible. And you've heard that many, many times. But the message today, real quick, I want to finish up with this verse. We may actually take back up on this verse next week because we're going to look at 2 Corinthians next week. Oh, awesome truth contained therein. But the message that we get from 1 Corinthians is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. There's a message that I want to leave with you this morning. If there's a message that I could leave with every church in Missouri, every church in this nation, what God is calling us to do is exactly what Paul said to that church in Corinth. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted when I read that verse. Awake to righteousness, church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about the bricks and mortar. You know who I'm talking about, the body of Christ. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. In other words, church, body of Christ, you are responsible for carrying the gospel to the lost. And I also think we're responsible for being a watchman on the tower and alerting and declaring what all is coming. There are enemies everywhere. He is the giver of grace. We'll pick back up there next week. I want to talk about the last Adam. I want to talk about what that is referring to because, folks, it is so important that you understand what that title is is why he's called that the significance of christ being the last adam we know what the first adam did in order to lose that perfect relationship with god but oh what the last adam has done in order to reconcile us back to god let's pray father we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how clear your word is as it gives us our marching orders to serve you faithfully. Now, Father, we just come before you in helping us to be students, helping us to help us to study, to show ourselves approved the way you have instructed us to do. Father, I pray that as we go through this week that you will press on us the importance being a faithful witness, being a diligent student of your word. Father, if we neglect your word, may it affect us in the same way as if we neglected to eat, that we would be so hungry to fill up on your precious word to us. Father, move on our hearts to be a witness Move on our hearts to be a student. Now, Father, we do want to pray for Tyrell and Rachel and their new ministry opportunities. Father, use this young couple and their precious babies in a, in a tremendous way. Father, I pray for each one. Father, we pray for Gina. Father, we pray that the upcoming tests are going to be positive and wonderful, and that we'll come back glorifying and praising you. Father, we lift her up before you. So many others in our congregation, Father, stand in need of prayer. Pray your healing touch. Pray your will be done. But Father, most of all, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that that all-important issue would be settled 
today, this moment, that by faith they will trust that Christ died for their sins, that as he hung on the cross, he was bearing their sin, paying that debt that they owed. Father, may they take it personally. And Father, may they understand that up from the grave he arose, that he is alive. Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory and praise for everyone who is made that new creation in Christ. And we pray these things in his holy and most precious name.